0: Thank you, Encore, for your ministry of music. Kill them with kindness, goes the popular saying. Now this phrase, kill them with kindness, can, I'd say, be taken in two different ways. It can be taken negatively. Kill them seems to have a a malicious intent, a a revenge motive to to overwhelm someone with uh, kind acts. But this phrase, kill them with kindness, I, I think also, and this is often how I, I take it, can be taken positively, uh, meaning to respond in love and generosity uh, to your enemies. And I'd like for us, as we begin our, our message tonight, to, to consider this latter uh, way of, of thinking about this phrase, kill them with kindness. I'd ask us to consider, how often is this your response? How often do you respond in kindness to those that hurt you? How often do you seek to help those that offend you? How often do you reach out to someone who has just treated you uh, poorly? Tonight, as we consider our memorable verses, we find that this understanding of kill them with kindness is not just a nifty phrase uh, that we say in our world, but it's something that we're commanded to do as followers of Jesus Christ. We learn and we are reminded tonight of how we are called to treat our enemies as Christians. So that will be our theme for our memorable verses this evening. We learn and are reminded of how we are called to treat our enemies as Christians. In our memorable verses for this evening, we have two. It's Proverbs 25, 21 through 22, and they say this. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. So as we consider these verses, I'd like for us to begin by just considering what relationship is being spoken of. Proverbs 21, 25 verse 21 begins, if your enemy, if your enemy by your enemy, it literally speaks of the one who hates you. One who dislikes you. The relationship being spoken about in this verse is not of friends. It's, it's not of strangers. It's between people that are at odds. People that are at odds. And, and here specifically, it's talking about when one person... One person is against another. When one person has a particular dislike toward another. It's talking about when one person uh, despises someone else. This could cause them uh, to speak bad about that person to others, to lash out and insult them, to maybe destroy their reputation, to destroy their property. And I want us to notice from this verse what position we're in. What position are we in in this, this verse? It says, If your enemy. If the one who hates you, so we're not the enemy uh, in this verse, but we are the one who is being hated. You are are the one being harmed. You're the one who is disliked. This is not talking about two mutual enemies, but when someone detests, when someone despises you, you are the one being hated. And as we think about this, you could easily become an enemy back. They hate you, you hate them. So uh, we could see how that could become the case, but it's talking about when someone hates you, when someone looks upon you uh, and despises you. But I want us to think about, and, and ultimately our verse directs us in this way, as to how we're to relate, how we're to treat or respond someone to someone who despises us. Proverbs 25, 21 through 22 says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. So both these lines in verse 21 are are talking about the same exact thing. They speak of the one who hates you being in need. The first line speaks of them being hungry. They need food. In the second line, it speaks of them being thirsty. They need something to drink so they could use something. They have a particular need. And, And the response that this verse says is that we're to provide for that need. Are they hungry? The verse says, give them bread to eat. Are they thirsty? Give them water to drink. And these, this verse, I, I, I don't think it, it needs to speak to situations only of sustenance, that only when your enemy is, is hungry or thirsty, that's the only needs you're supposed to care for. But it's other needs as well. And, and even, I think, just generally, this verse is talking about simply treating your enemies, treating the one who hates you, despises you. It's talking about treating them kindly. Treating them how you would someone who didn't hurt you. So how should we relate to those who detest us? Help them. Look out for their benefit. Treat them well. Treat them how they don't deserve. Don't treat them how they're treating you. How you relate to them is to be very different than how they relate to you. And as you think about this, if we're honest with ourselves, what this verse is commanding of us, what it's telling us to do, is very, very difficult. This is not how we usually operate with those who treat us badly, those who are jealous of us, those who are out to get us. This is extremely difficult to do. So, next, we'll consider what makes this so difficult. Well, first, it's unexpected. What we're told to do in this verse is, is what we might do to a friend or a family member. If our verse said, If your friend is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. If it said, If your spouse is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Or if it's talking about your child, if it says, If your child is hungry, to all of these, we'd nod in agreement. Yes, this is how we're to respond. This is the Christian way. We're to respond this way to these people. But our verse doesn't speak of such a good relationship. Rather, it speaks of a terrible relationship. It speaks of someone that may have caused you deep pain, someone who is just plain nasty to you, someone who's treated you how you do not deserve. It's not a friend. It's not a family member. We're just a kind soul, but someone who is mean to us, who's not a fan of ours. That is who is being spoken about. So what we are called to do in relation to them, it's unexpected. We, we wouldn't expect to, to have to treat someone this way. Further, considering the difficulty of such a verse, we need to, to consider how it's unnatural. Unnatural. How it's unnatural to us. If this verse was communicating how we usually treat those who despise us, it might read, if your enemy is hungry, you ignore him. And if he's thirsty, you refuse to help him out. Or it might say, if your enemy is hungry, make him starve like, you would, like he would for you. Our natural tendency is to relate to others how they relate to us. They hate us, we hate them. They talk bad on us, we talk bad on them. They punch us, we punch them. So we usually do the complete opposite of helping them, looking out for them, providing for them. We usually seek to harm them and respond to them as they have just done to us. If you think about it, as we think about how we usually respond to our enemies, usually they are our model. How they act, we respond to them in the same way. We follow them like they are our model, our example. But if we go one step further in thinking about how unnatural this is to us, even if we don't seek revenge on our enemies, we don't usually get even close to what this verse is commending to us. Think about your enemies. You usually keep them at a distance. You avoid them. We may be willing to say hi, but you won't do anything good towards your enemy. You will not be concerned with them. This verse is calling for a very unnatural response to those who harm you. Not only putting up with or enduring with those who hate us, but going even further and acting in such a way that is actually beneficial towards them. And then thirdly, as we think about the difficulty of this verse and why this is often not our response, because of the fact that it's unfair. You find out someone has said things that aren't true about you, maybe someone has embarrassed you, Someone has stolen from you, they made fun of your faith, they they passed over you for a promotion intentionally, and now this verse is saying you're to do good to them. You're to treat them as if they didn't as if that did not happen, you're to treat them how you would a friend or a family member, you're to act nicely to them. How unfair this seems. We could ask, where is the justice? Don't they deserve a little punishment? And even, we might ask, as we think about what we're told to do here, we might even ask, won't this just encourage them to continue to act this way? They need to be taught a lesson. This verse seems unfair at best. How could this be the Christian way to treat those who hate Uh, So all three of these things, all three of the things I have on the screen show us, and I I think, uh, as I said, if we're honest, they they show why this is so difficult. Why even, I'd say, we we often don't respond this way. And I'd imagine as we think about this verse, uh, a lot of us in this room would say we knew this we we already knew this is how we are to treat our enemies maybe it's a new thought but i believe for a lot of us we knew this already and that's why i included in the theme the word reminded we learn and are reminded of how we are called to treat our enemies as christians this is a reminder we knew this already but i would say often we don't do this and it's an important reminder for us as it is so difficult to live out what this verse is saying. It goes against the grain of of how we usually live, how we normally conduct ourselves, even how we think about and, and feel about our enemies. So the next thing we'll consider from our memorable verses is from verse 22, and that is, what are the results of relating to our enemies this way? And we're given two results, and the first one is found in verse 22, and I'll read it all together. It says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. And then verse 22 gives us the first result. It says, for you will heap burning coals on his head. Let's talk first about what this phrase does not mean. By burning coals, it might seem like Punishment or something negative. You think about burning coals on someone's head, that, that would be painful, extremely painful and damaging. So it might seem like it's punishment. It, it may seem like giving this bread, giving this water is in some way, shape, or form uh, trying to hurt them or, or even humble them. This is, in, in as we think about what this does not mean, this is not being done from a malicious intent, whatsoever. This bread and this water, if we think about verse 21, it's, it's spoken positively. This is a good thing that you're doing. So that's what it doesn't mean. It's, it's not saying uh, that this is done in, in a malicious way or, or out to get them or, or payback. This is how the beginning, as we thought about that, that common saying, kill them with kindness. That's one of the ways you could take it. Uh, malicious intent, that even though you're doing an act of kindness, it's done to, to get back at your enemy, to jab at him, even though this is a supposedly nice thing to do. It's not the idea of this verse. But I should say, and I do think this is definitely a temptation for us, if someone shows to you that they're obviously not your fan, and even further, that they, they hate you, they despise you, they're out to get you, you could think to yourself, I'll show them. I'll be kind to them. I'll prove to them that they shouldn't act in this way. I'll make them look like a fool for treating me this way. Rather than out of a genuine care and concern, looking out for them and helping them. That is what this verse is talking about. It's talking about not doing this for malicious intent or to get back at them, but it's talking about a genuine care and concern for the one who hates you. So if this phrase for you will heap burning coals on his head, isn't speaking of exacting punishment or revenge. What does it mean? What does this result mean? These burning coals are a picture of regret, shame, pangs of conscience, which could lead to repentance. Treating someone who hates you kindly, rather than treating them in the same way they've treated you, can pile up guilt and shame upon them. That is the picture that is presented. It's not that your aim is to make them feel guilty, but rather this is what naturally or even as God works can happen, that they they feel guilty. They, They feel shame for how they've treated you. So if you treat them how they've treated you, or even they treat you in a way and you lash out in anger, they may very well say, See, I do good to feel this way about them. But if you don't retaliate, but actually you seek to, to act kindly to them, to help them, to care for them while they're in need, what this verse is saying is they may realize how they, have treated, how they have treated you has been sinful. That they were wrong to think about you this way. Maybe not after the first act of kindness, but maybe after the third or the fourth or the fifth, they realize. So the result that's given here first is a, a wonderful result. It's guilt leading to repentance. It's shame leading to a change of heart. That is what is at stake in how we relate to our enemies. Charles Bridges says this as he comments on our verse, and I I believe it applies very uh, well to this uh, portion or, or this verse. He says, no man ever conquered his enemy's heart by revenge, but many have by love. So that is the, the first result that our, our verse gives. And it, it certainly shows that this is worth it. This is, this is worth treating your enemies in this way. And, and so does the second one. The second one or the second result is found in, in the last phrase of verse 22. Our verses say, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head. And then it says, and the Lord will reward you. So the second result is the Lord will reward you. We usually, as we we're thinking about, we usually seek revenge. We try to pay back. But what this verse is saying is that God will pay us back. We're not given specifics, and, and maybe it very well is, is connected to the, the first result, that when the person does repent, that reconciliation is, is, uh, comes about, that Uh, You are united with the person that once hated you. Maybe it's in some other way, but we're told that God will reward us, that we will get something from the Lord for following his commands and treating our enemies how how he is commanded. What this result shows us is that we shouldn't be worried about uh, the unfairness of our enemies and how they've treated us, nor maybe what we've lost, knowing that God will look out for us. He will reward us. And in this second result ultimately, I think, should be a comfort when we're wronged, knowing that the Lord knows, okay? It says, and the Lord will reward you, showing that he knows your hurts, he knows how you've been wronged, he knows how you've been hated, saying the Lord is fully aware of what we are experiencing, the Lord is aware of the injustice, the pain, the hardship that they've been causing you. By saying the Lord will reward you shows we have a God who is fully aware of how we're hated, Even if no one else does, we don't need to make it known to them or even to others. The Lord knows, and that's enough. Something else that we see from this phrase the Lord will reward you. So we've considered our our memorable verse. We see the command in it, we see the results that come from it. And now I want us to look at how this verse is used in the New Testament. And hopefully, Uh, this will only further spur us on and and challenge us and show us completely that this is the call of the Christian. This is how we are called to treat our enemies. And we find Proverbs 25, 21 through 22 is partially quoted in the book of Romans. And I'll read verses 19 through 21, and, and our verse is ultimately found in verse 20. It says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So verse 19 speaks of of not seeking to punish those who have wronged us, To not take justice into our own hands, but to leave it to God. And then verse 20, as I said, is the one that quotes our verse uh, partially. It leaves out the last phrase. But it begins it by saying, to the contrary. So it's saying, rather than punishing the one who has hurt us and sinned against us, we should actually do good to them. So it's showing us the complete opposite of avenging. Seeking justice for ourselves is to do what our verse says verses uh, say this evening. And then verse 21 I think sums up this response to one's enemies nicely. It says again, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's saying, don't stoop to the evil that has been shown to you or done to you. Don't retaliate with the same wrongs that you've been wronged with. But instead, respond by doing good. Meet the evil done to you by doing good to them. Exactly what our memorable verses are advocating for. Romans 12, chapter 12 gives uh, some other commands that revolve around this same uh, type of thing. Romans twelve fourteen says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Romans 12, 17 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then Romans twelve eighteen says, If possible, so far as it de- depends on you, live peaceably, with all. So we are called as Christians to respond to our enemies in a way that is unexpected, is unnatural, and is ex- seems extremely unfair. So if Proverbs 25, 21 through 22 didn't sell you, now we should see that this is how God calls us to respond as Christians in all of Scripture. He commands us to treat those who hate us and hurt us not how they've treated us, but to treat them well. Do good to them, look out for their benefit, and strive to live in harmony with others. So as we think about this, and even as we think about our memorable verse, it's a command. We don't have a choice in the matter. And as we think about this, it is, it is extremely uh, easier said than done. And I think all of us know this. As we think about interactions with people who hate us, who are out to get us, Living this out is, is a lot easier said than done, but my prayer as we, as we think about this text this evening, my prayer is that God would, would instill in us an ability and even a desire to, to really put this into practice this evening and as we go forward in our lives, to, to think about those that hate us right now and, and how we respond, uh, how we can respond to them uh, in these ways, that God would instill this uh, within us. So I'd ask you, just as we sit here, think to yourself about who is seeking to harm you. Who obviously is not your fan? Who despises you? Just think about this. Try to get someone in, in mind. And then think, additionally, think about what it would practically look like for me to provide For their needs so maybe ways that you know they're struggling ways that they're they're in need think about how you can say a kind word to them something that would be encouraging to them maybe think about a sacrifice that you could make for this person that is what this verse takes to live it out realizing who who does not like me who just has treated me poorly and unfairly and actually seeking to do these things to do good to them And to even help us think a little further, give us two categories. In John 15, 19, it says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, the world hates you. So this can be put into practice as we think about unbelievers who who hate us, who despise us because of our Christian faith. So, Teens, children, there might be some in school, in your classes at school, who who mock you, who tease you because of your faith. For those that are in the workplace, it might be an unbeliever in your workplace who's caught wind of your beliefs and they've sought to undermine you, just to treat you poorly as you come to work day in and day out. They, They just do not treat you how they do the rest of your coworkers. It may be an unbeliever that is a family member They don't respect your faith. They believe other things, and they're just plain nasty to you every time you you come to a family gathering. So think of how you can treat these people, unbelievers, well in these situations, these places. You know when they're coming. You know who they are. So think about it ahead of time. How am I going to respond to so-and-so when they say this? And then even, I would say, as we think about applying this, pray to God beforehand. Pray to God realizing this is completely unnatural, it seems unfair, and pray about this encounter. Pray, God, help me treat this this person who hates me, despises me, help me to treat them well. Help me not to retaliate like I usually do. So as we think about this, we may expect hate, we may expect um, people to despise us that aren't of the same faith, but unfortunately... This comes from even those within the church. Christians that we might experience it from. So even within the church, we might experience those who who hate us, who despise us, who detest us. Christians who treat us wrongly. Christians who gossip about us. Christians who despise us. This passage doesn't say, don't associate with them. Sit on the opposite side of the sanctuary or, or leave that church if people are treating you that way doesn't say call them out, but it says treat them kindly. Treat them kindly. Look out for their needs. Look out for how you can benefit this person. So I'd ask you to consider, how will you live this out within our church? The reality is there will be people like this that you'll encounter, other Christians that treat you this way. How will you live this out right now within our church? So we see this is surely the call of the Christian. Hopefully I've made that clear. Hopefully the scriptures have made this clear that we are called to treat our enemies in this way. We've thought about how we can specifically do this and apply this to our lives. And now I want us to consider just two other things. One is an example. And the second is, I would say, extremely personal to each and every one of us if we're saved. So I want us to consider a model a model, an example of our memorable verses, and as I already said, oftentimes our model is our enemy. How they treat us, we treat them. But I want to give us a another model, a different model. Who is a model to look upon when it comes to living out our memorable verses? So this model, okay, the enemies of the model we will look at treated him so wrongly and went so far as to place him up in excruciating agony on a cross. He was publicly humiliated. He was tortured. He was mocked and ridiculed. He was made to hang and die on a cross by those who hated him. And of course, I'm speaking of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that model. And as we think about his life, earlier in his life, he said this, in Matthew 5, 43, 44, he said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's the question, would he? He said this earlier in his life, and now he's, he's really dealing with it, this exact type of thing. Would he? Would he sh- care and, and show compassion to those who are literally killing him? Would he pray for his torturers and for his murderers? Would Jesus do what he preached? Luke 23, 34, as Jesus hangs on the cross, it says, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus prays for his enemies. He does not pray that it would stop, that suffering would stop um, right here, but that God would not count these sins against them. Talk about giving your enemy bread and, and water from Proverbs 25. Praying for their forgiveness is so much better. It's so much kinder. I think this is such an example, and it's a good thing for us to consider this evening. Are you willing to pray for your enemies? Are you willing to actively and, and to, to think about requests, think about needs, and, and pray for your enemies? Not that, they would, um, not that they would be punished, but think about things that they might be struggling with, going through in their life, physical or, or other things with their family, and praying for them, being willing to pray for your enemies. And ultimately, Jesus prayed for his enemies' salvation. Jesus should be a model as we consider how we are to relate to our enemies. He presents for us a perfect picture. And to go one step further, this model, Jesus prays for his enemies, we could ask the question, were they forgiven? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Did God answer Jesus' prayer and, and save his enemies from their sins? Consider first the the centurion, the military commander who is watching all that took place for Jesus. In Luke 23, 47, several verses down from the one we just looked at, it says, now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And then Mark 15, 39 gives us a little bit of a different thought as to what the centurion said. It says, And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. So it seems like there's a very real possibility that this centurion was forgiven. He was saved from his sin by his response to Jesus' death. He praises God, calls him innocent, and he calls him the Son of God. But also consider Peter. Peter in the book of Acts, he, he's preaching to several different crowds. He's, he's preaching to those who had an intricate part uh, of putting Jesus to death or were just part of the crowd. In Acts 2, through 23, it says, Men of Israel, so this is Peter preaching. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So he's talking about them being at fault, putting Jesus to death, ones that hated him. And then we find later on, after Peter preached this message, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They were saved. And then later in, in uh, the book of Acts, just a chapter over in Acts 3, 17-18, again, Peter speaking, he says, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, speaking about Christ's death, he says, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And then he goes on, and he, he went on in the other sermon as well, and we find the result. In Acts 4.4 4 it says, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So the point that I'm making here is that Jesus treated his enemies with kindness. He prayed that they would be forgiven, and we see that some of them surely were. That God uses Jesus' act, and he uses his prayer to bring about their salvation. You might ask for us to consider, and even Pray towards this end. How might God use your kindness and your prayers for your enemies to bring them to a saving knowledge of God? The last thing I want us to consider, this is what we'll close with, is how have we been treated this way? Okay, this might seem, as we think about our verse, it might seem unfair, unjust. Our enemies, they deserve punishment. They don't deserve to be treated this way. And the reality is the same would go, the same would go for us. We would be in that position that we are wishing upon our enemies. We just talked about Jesus' enemies, and the reality is, we were one of them. Romans five verses 6 through 11 makes this clear. And I want to read them through and then we'll zero in on the part where we find we were enemies. It says this in Romans 5, starting at verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're also called sinners. But in verse 10, it says, For while we were enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. While we hated, while we rebelled against God, he acted in love towards us. He sacrificed himself for us. He did way more than just give us a piece of bread, give us a glass of water. He died for us. God did this for us as we hated him, as we were enemies towards him. So talk about unfair. Talk about undeserving. We are the product of being treated this way. I think this should be a motivation to turn and to pr- follow what we have in Proverbs 25, 21 through 22 as we are living examples of being helped in a marvelous way by the one we hated. So our memorable verse, Proverbs twenty five twenty one through 22, says again, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this text as it addresses something that is just extremely difficult uh, for us to do as human beings, and that is to treat our enemies, treat those who hate us, who have wronged us uh, in a good way. And Lord, I pray as as people who have been saved, people who were enemies of you, acted against you, rebelled against you, as people who have been saved by you and have been uh, treated with kindness, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to have both the ability and the desire to respond to our enemies in this way. Uh, Lord, we need the strength, even as we, thought, as we uh, heard preached this morning. Lord, we need your power, we need your strength, we need uh, you working in our lives so that we're able to live differently, so that we're able to respond to our enemies different than the world uh, might, that we wouldn't retaliate or, or go uh, with how we naturally uh, would like to. Lord, give us the strength. We can't do this without you. But Lord, also I pray this evening we would be motivated. We'd be spurred on by your example, but also by your sacrifice for us. Lord, help us in this task. Help us in this calling. And Lord, I pray both with unbelievers, but also those that uh, claim to be saved. Those within this church who have wronged us and uh, hate us. Lord, I pray that we would even seek to act kindly to them. Lord, help us to respond in this way to our enemies. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us this evening, and you are dismissed.